0: Well, I want to start out uh, this morning just kind of uh, giving a shout out to the women's Bible study, the Tuesday AM, or maybe uh, it used to be Tuesday, it was Friday AM. You guys, you, you meet in the AM on one of the days during the week. And uh, I had kind of uh, gone through a list of my go-to people like, oh, we've got to have somebody help us organize the meal for last week. We're going to try a potluck, but we're like, I don't know, it's been a while since we've done a potluck, so let's just do a meal. And that definitely scared off a few folks, (laughs) rightly so. And uh, so finally I was like, oh, women's Bible study. And they hit a home run. Amen. Give them a round of applause. Um, So appreciative. Julie Breston kind of led the charge on that. And uh, last week was so great just to hang around church afterwards, enjoy lunch together. And if you missed it, we're going to do it again. October 2nd, we're, we're hosting the Mending Wings kids from the Yakima Nation. And so uh, following church, we'll have another meal uh, to just kind of shower them with hospitality and, and also a chance to connect with each other. So that's coming up just a few weeks away. Uh, also, the Blues Walk. You know, I realize that this is kind of weird that uh, Pastor Dan is is going to the blues walk, and please just call me Dan when we're there, okay? <laughs> all right, because, I, just because. Um, th- this just happened. Danny organizes jazz walk and blues walk all the time, and often many of us go and we, you know, walk past each other and we say, hi, hi, I'll pretend not to see that beer that you're drinking, and oh, over here, thing. no, I'm just kidding. Um, and, and so this is like if if you if you're going to the Blues Walk, just go, and you know we'll see you at one of the venues as we kind of make our way around. Uh, if you'd like to uh, join me, I'm going to start at the theater and kind of move on from there. I think that's the biggest venue, and you know join us for a few songs or for the evening, whatever it is. Uh, this is just meant something something to do that's fun together, and. Uh, I oh, don't know, I shouldn't say that. I was, I was gonna just randomly off the cuff say, you know, there's gonna be a prize for the most bluesiest dress, you know, like style of dress worn for that night, but then that would mean I'd have to dress up. Oof, I don't know about that. But hey, if you wanna look like one of the Blues Brothers, I'll, I'll buy something for you. I'll buy you dinner, I don't know. Um, I seriously digress. So, today we're beginning week two of a brand new series that we're going to be in this fall called a beginner's guide to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom is what jesus said that he was here on earth to create and all we have to do is read the gospels not very far and you're going to hear jesus uh, kingdom 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 he's sometimes the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven Uh, uses lots of different phrases to describe the kingdom. And that was no surprise to anyone in his day and age. I mean, people knew that the Messiah would establish a kingdom. But what kind of kingdom is this Jesus? And that's what his followers soon began to wonder. Who's the king? What kind of place is it? What are the people like there? How does life look in Jesus' kingdom? And most notably, people wondered two things. When is this going to happen, Jesus? And where? Where? And they had their own really great guesses. They assumed the where was going to be right there in Palestine, Jerusalem. And the when was going to be sometime soon in the future. And Jesus, because he just likes to mess with all of us, basically was like, yeah, and there's a whole other level to this that you're not quite ready for. Jesus stressed that the kingdom was near, that it was imminent. You know, don't waste any time. Get ready now because it's coming here. The Gospel of Matthews provided us the perfect introductory lessons, a beginner's guide of sorts in the early chapters of the Gospel. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. You can find this in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And this fall, we're going to make our way through it. It's the most famous collection of Jesus' teaching anywhere in the Bible it describes what it looks like to follow Jesus' way. And so over the years, you know, a literal who's who of people have um, read this sermon and thought, that's really profound. People like Leo Tolstoy, C.S. Lewis, Gandhi, even Martin Luther King Jr. It's inspired many people and movements throughout the years. And even though there's thousands of books in print, that are all working out the meaning of Jesus' message, our task is to figure out more than just the meaning of Jesus' words. We want to know how to live in this kingdom. How do we become people of the kingdom of heaven? You know, so often we kind of treat Jesus' words um, very intellectually. Like our, our job is just to absorb them and regurgitate them at a moment's notice. But we are human beings, not sponges. And human beings and disciples ask questions. They clarify. Sometimes they even disagree because they're trying to work this out. What does this look like? Uh, years ago, as I was preaching through this Sermon on the Mount, um, I, had, I, was, I was actually new here, and so I was preaching about I think it was about anger. It was something about um, you know making peace and you know nonviolence and you know whatever. So immediately I get home from church and I have an email waiting for me from someone in our congregation who was a police officer, and I was like, "Oh, they wanted to have coffee." I'm like, "Wow, how is this going to go?" And it was awesome. Uh, one of the most like, uh, I mean, encouraging conversations. I've had with someone who like heard my message, wanted to discuss it more, and like he was a police officer. Lots of real life experience. And I often think of that as like that's it. We hear this and it kind of bounces off of us. Um, Don't put up the shield. See if the Holy Spirit has something new for you. Or if this is your first or you're brand new to all of this, like take these words. If you don't like something, like bring it up. Say, what exactly does that mean? How does that look? Uh, uh, Amy Jill Levine, she's a biblical scholar. She reflects on this. She's got a book on the Sermon on the Mount. She says, you're good. Uh, you know, like Jesus's goal here, sometimes we, we take these and we go, oh, this is just too impossible for us to do. But Jesus is trying to push us. He's trying to push us. And Levine says, it's like Jesus is saying, you're good could always be better. You may be the salt of the earth. You may be the light of the world, but your salt could be saltier. Your light could be brighter. So follow Jesus into the sermon, down the mountain, and out into the world and step into the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to begin uh, with how Jesus begins with with a section that's called the Beatitudes. And these are very carefully crafted by Jesus. He would have... um, done this for maximum impact and also to make it easy to memorize. And so as I read these for you, I want you to imagine that maybe you're hearing this for the first time. You're sitting on the hillside with Jesus. The birds are chirping. The the wind is, you know, in your face. Lots of people around you. What word or phrase or image stands out to you as you hear this today? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, what you hear? Maybe it's the repetition of that word blessed, 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 blessed are you. Maybe you wonder why a person would be blessed because they're mourning. Kind of sounds like it should be just the opposite there. Um, What about inheriting the earth? Is that something I want? You know, is Jesus asking me to be persecuted there at the end, to be mocked, made fun of for my faith? You know, throughout the centuries, people like you and me have have wondered about this. What's Jesus getting at? And I have no doubt that the men and women who heard Jesus speak that very day felt similar to you and me. The people who are blessed, at least the ones who appear to be blessed, you know, we all know those people drive Ferraris, don't they? Or in Jesus' day, they would have rode a donkey named Ferrari, right? (laughs) I mean, we we have an idea in our mind. These are the people who are blessed. They live in waterfront homes. They uh, have supermodel wives and girlfriends. They raise kids who earn full ride scholarships to Ivy League schools. They get invited to VIP events. They always seem to have lemon made into lemonade, and we hate them, don't we? <laughs> Just kidding on that last part. We know these are the people who are blessed. This is how it's defined. That's what a blessed person looks like. And so if you're in a state of mourning, you're going to use a different word to describe your life. It's not going to be blessed. And while these beatitudes first sound a bit out of tune for you and me, it's not because they're false. It's because they describe a person we may not yet know. In fact, it sounds out of tune to us because it's not because they're too idealistic. Maybe it's because it's the world we live in is out of tune with the world that God intended. And so it seems off. We don't get it. We wonder why. We need clarification. Jesus, what exactly are you getting at here? While I was in college, I, I had a you know, very glorious, very important job in one of the residence halls. I sat at the reception desk, okay? And you know, every residence hall is is different. And so some of them were really great for studying because they were like off over in the corner and no one bothered you. Not the residence hall that I was at. It was like, there was multiple, a couple doors. It was right in the middle, it was Grand Central Station. So if you were an extrovert, this was the place for you. Um, and So I would still try and do homework while I was there and interacting with people, and one of my fellow students uh, who was from Sweden, very, very friendly and outgoing guy, I still remember his name, he'd always want to chat, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to do homework, his name was Roy. Roy, I'm trying to do homework and he'd want to chat. And he wouldn't take no for an answer, he was just one of those people. And he especially wanted to chat whenever he saw me doing biblical studies homework because I studied, I was studying at that point to be in youth ministry. And so I had to take Bible classes and he was just on it whenever I had a biblical studies, you know, the Bible is open, it's debate time. And uh, Roy was interested in the Bible, like uh, he had read a lot of it. He wasn't so much interested in following Jesus, but that's a different story. And he thought the teachings of Jesus were for weak-minded people. That's a quote. Who would want to live that way? Uh, Furthermore, who could live that way? And in Roy's opinion, the world was there for the taking. All you had to do was be willing to work hard, assert yourself, exploit any opportunities that were in front of you, and you would be rewarded. And I'm not sure if this was a blessing or a curse for Roy, but his life was kind of an example. He had had a really hard beginning to life, and he had worked his butt off to somehow make it to the United States, get good good grades, and I mean, he was on his way. And I often wondered what would happen if he ever encountered failure. What happens when hard work isn't enough to fix your marriage? You know, uh, what happens when someone else is rewarded not on their performance, but because of who they know? And maybe worse, what if Roy continued to be successful at being successful? Do you know what I mean? What would happen? You know, would he enjoy his life or would he realize? that chasing after the next accomplishment or paycheck. You know, sometimes when you arrive at the top, it's kinda empty, lonely. But you know, in some ways, my acquaintance Roy was right. These aren't qualities that come naturally to us. Maybe that's why it sounds out of tune. Definitely, because God's world is out of tune with our own world. And none of this works. They're all just kinda profound words without god's power behind us this is impossible to live out impossible to attain without god's holy spirit in you giving you a boost helping in the transformation we need a new heart we need new eyes we need new ears and that's what faith in jesus can do for us so that we can be in tune with god jesus calls people like that blessed The word in the original Greek, which Jesus was speaking in Aramaic, so we're talking about multiple translations, which I'm always kind of shocked at how catchy it is in English, even though it's been through a couple washing machine cycles. But the word for blessed in Greek is makarios. It means literally happy, fortunate. Happy are those who are poor in spirit or mourning. It almost sounds worse, doesn't it? Uh, a survey of biblical scholars has a number of potent, uh, translations. You could say instead. You could say congratulations. You could say approved are you. You're right on. You're in sync with God. These are all kind of trying to scratch at the meaning of what Jesus means here when he says, blessed are you. But happy is the one that always catches me off guard. And there is a difference between what we understand as happiness and what Jesus would have been teaching as blessed or what he would have been saying as blessed. So there's a a philosophy professor from Boston College, very smart man named Peter Kreeft. And uh, I had to read some of his books when I was taking philosophy in college. Uh, So he's been around for a really, really long time. He posted, uh, just like two years ago, uh, one of his lectures was posted um, on YouTube. i got to get this right. It was a YouTube channel called Cafeteria Catholics. And so Peter is a Roman a practicing Roman Catholic. And so he goes through this. I mean, he brilliantly asserts there's a significant difference between what an ancient person would have understood as happiness versus our modern one. And that accounts for why Jesus' words here, you know, happy are those who are poor in spirit, why that sounds so off to us. You see, ancients saw happiness in terms of like, there's this really deep-seated, true blessedness that you feel in the deepness of your soul. When we say we're happy, we mean something more like we're feeling content. You know, it really has to like, how are you feeling at this moment? It's very subjective. It's this kind of satisfaction. That's what we mean when we say, oh, I'm happy in this moment. And um, you make that own assessment. It makes no sense to us, Kreeft was saying. If someone said, even though you think you're happy, you're not. We would look at someone like that and, and we'd be like, how would you know? Right? Only I know if I'm happy. Well, the ancient understanding would have been very similar to that. Hey, you might think you're happy, but you're not. Socrates uh, said, justice is always profitable. Happifying would be a literal translation. Justice is always happifying. Injustice never is. The just person, even if they have nothing else, is happy. The Mm -hmm. unjust person is not, even if they have nothing. Everything else. I believe that's in Plato's Republic, no less. What gives? You see, in the ancient world, happiness is more a result of who you are as a person and your actions. It's, uh, It's a matter of your soul. It's not just good fortune. I mean, that's kind of mixed in there. In the modern world, we would flip it. We would think, well, happiness is really contingent on our circumstances and good fortune and luck. And if things are really going my way, then I feel happy. And of course, there's a little element of, well, you know, I want to be a good person. I want to, you know, I'm not, just, I'm not ter- just terribly awful. I mean, there's things. But you see the difference? There's a different makeup, a different understanding of happiness. The ancients would have understood that as blessedness. There's something in who you are that as you deal with the world around you, that's good. So when Jesus says makarios, he's got this ancient understanding in mind. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not saying that you should be happy when circumstances in your life have crushed you. Instead, he's pointing towards something deeper that's happening in you when you've realized or even cultivated a spirit that is humble, regardless of your circumstances. Furthermore, you know, hashtag blessed isn't about how I assess my life. Hey, look at me, I'm posting it online, isn't this great? No, it's really about how God is assessing your life. That's the one whose opinion matters most. You're blessed, you're in sync with the kingdom when you're poor in spirit, when you mourn when you're meek, when you hunger for righteousness, and so on. One of the most difficult things for us to get inside the mind of Christ here and, what he's, and to really hear and receive this is because we live in a very performance-based culture. And what I mean by that is from the moment that we're born, they weigh us, they measure us, right? And then they do what? They put us in percentiles and it's on. It never stops. For the rest of our life, does it? We're constantly being evaluated, we're constantly being measured, we're constantly being compared with how everyone else is doing, and it's impossible for us to break that mindset, or nearly impossible. But entrance into the kingdom of heaven isn't based on performance. There's no scouting combine where you can impress God with your on-field abilities. And that's because God always already knows that we can't do it. We're horribly inept. We're doomed from the start. We can't even hear the words of Jesus describing a way a kingdom person looks without wondering if Jesus got that wrong. That's not blessed. And so what Jesus is doing is he's describing a person in whom the kingdom has taken root. Here's what that person looks like. When a seed that God planted in our soul begins to grow and emerge, this is what blooms. And so these words of Jesus here in Matthew 5, they're not a roadmap to help you find the way to the kingdom of heaven. You know, uh, I'm going to really strive to be poor in spirit. They really kind of describe a person who's already arrived. And if you've arrived, this is what's growing in you. So Jesus How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, Christ is always making it clear. Entrance is through Him, it's submitting to the King, it's laying prostrate before the God of the universe and saying, I need help. I need your help. I've messed up my life horribly. What do I do? Jesus, forgive me. Lead me on. It's this brokenness in your spirit that starts it all. Then you sit at Jesus' feet and you learn. You follow. That's what it means to be a disciple. And when you begin walking with Jesus, you receive the power to become the kind of person he describes. So up until I was around 40... I read these, I heard these a lot different. There wasn't a lot in my life that I had had to mourn up to that point. And although I would have thought that I was humble, I would have described that as being poor in spirit, and now I look back at that and I go, "Mm." hmm. My reality was I was born into a world that offered challenges that I could overcome, where I could excel. Uh, I found that I could do well at a lot of things, and people applauded for me. They patted me on the back. They offered me more opportunities. That was my drug. was, oh, I'll do this good. The formula was really simple. I treat people with respect and kindness. I make an honest effort. I push myself whenever I need to, and uh, I try and do my best. Things worked out. And then things stopped working out suddenly, abruptly, surprisingly, alarmingly, actually. um, In the span of a few years, I found myself negotiating a number of situations, uh, most of which were completely out of my control. My boss decided to take things in a new direction. He wanted me out of the organization. My sister called me while I was on vacation. She said she'd been diagnosed with a brain tumor. My dad died suddenly of a heart attack. I got a new job and instead of numbers heading up and to the right, they stayed even or they declined and try and try and try as hard as I could. I couldn't turn any of those around. It didn't make any sense. God, what's wrong? Have you removed your blessing from me, God? Oh, maybe there's some open, horrible sin in my life that I am not acknowledging, God, what? For me, life was this formula and it had worked out really well in my favor until it didn't. And so suddenly I started listening to things like the Holy Spirit and also things like the Beatitudes in a very new and strange light. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's taken aim at one of the greatest lies of our time. Blessed are the rich. Blessed are those who are successful in the eyes of others, in the eyes of themselves. These are the people who we should want to be. And if you're feeling poor about your life, or literally poor physically, then you screwed something up. God helps those who help themselves, remember? Jesus says, hold on a second. A sign that a person is alive in the kingdom of heaven is that they are poor, not just in their bank accounts, but all the way down in their spirit. And when he says this, he's not saying these people are weak-minded or they're depressed or they're fragile somehow. Um, he's also not saying it's a simple matter of you should avoid being conceited or prideful or arrogant. The really weird thing about this phrase is that the Gospel of Luke, Luke there's a Lukean theme this morning, the Gospel of Luke uh, also quotes Jesus saying, blessed are the poor, but he uncomfortably stops. Whereas Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Which is it, guys? Well, who's in most desperate need of God's blessing today? Is it people in physical need, the poor? I mean, should Jesus, you're saying that we should divest ourselves of everything and become poor, then we'd be blessed? Or or is it Jesus, people are blessed... uh, uh, that they're in need spiritually, they're poor in spirit. I mean, should we be as melancholy as possible? Should we embrace the depressive, discouraging, you know, whatever it is in our life? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But if we were to do that, it's the backwards thinking, the performance approach to gaining heaven. You know, Jesus, just tell me what to do. I'll hop to it. I'll do good, Jesus. But Jesus is describing a humble person, If you wanna be rich in the kingdom of heaven, it starts by gaining humility. Being in want, whatever respect that might be, makes you aware of how mortal you are, how dependent you are on others in your life. You know, when you recognize that dependence, first on God, then on others, when you recognize that others depend on you, it helps you see not how self-sufficient you are or how good you are at whatever it is you might do. It helps you see how interconnected we are to one another. Amy Levine puts it this way. I'll put this on the screen for you. Poor in spirit is in part a synonym for the people who have enough humility that they do not operate from a sense of pride, The poor in spirit are those who recognize that they are both the beneficiaries of the help of others and part of a system in which they're to pay it forward and help those whom they can. Poor in spirit are those who do not sit around saying, look at what I've accomplished, or worse, feel resentful because they've not received what they consider sufficient honor. They know they did the right thing. They know God knows, and that's sufficient recognition indeed. They know they did the right thing. They know God knows. And that's sufficient recognition indeed. So what a different world it would be if more of us realized that we were blessed. And we recognized no matter how talented or driven we might be, we didn't achieve everything on our own. And what a different world it would be in if after that recognition, we decided that we were gonna work to help others who might have lacked those opportunities, or who might lack resources to succeed and grow and be and thrive. I mean, there's a level of detachment that we can develop towards our stuff. Call that humility. No matter how much or how little little we have, we uh, refuse to be possessed by our possessions. You know, maybe there's a level of... um, Separation that we can hold over our capabilities, our talents, our achievements, our success—call it humility. There's a freedom there too, a blessedness. Jesus says that we're in sync with God. The kingdom of heaven belongs to us when we're poor in spirit. Uh, a couple years ago, I thought of this this morning, and all morning long, I've been trying to decide: Is this something I should share? And um, I haven't really wanted to. (laughs) So that's in my odd way of thinking like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Um, But there's more to that. As I was getting this ready this morning, I'm like poor in spirit, poor in spirit, poor in spirit. I don't know that I've really got that like, so I heard this this way when I was 20 and 30 and I hear this this way now. Uh, A few years ago, I had the unfortunate meeting uh, with, you know, people from our church, people I really respected, um, and they were not very happy. Not, there wasn't really any one thing that they were pointing out to me as the source of their displeasure. It was just kind of a general theme is what I took away from the meaning. And it all had to do, uh, as I understood it, um, kind of with this, being poor in spirit. And like I said, um, my whole life, I did really well at stuff. But I knew that if I got an assignment and I went home and worked on it, the amount of effort that I put into that, I would usually get a better outcome than one of my friends who put in the same amount of effort. Why is that? Well, I was blessed. Like, I had some abilities there. Same thing on, you know, sports and athletics. I did really, really well. But there was always someone faster, there's always someone stronger, there's always someone smarter, right? Well, so I'm sitting at you know, this person's house, and they didn't like some of the messages that they had heard from Cascade Covenant as it related to the word privilege. That's what I didn't know if I was gonna say, because all of your minds instantly are racing down uh, political roads, which I don't want them to go. So just hold on. And it was like, Pastor Dan, are you saying that, you know, that I didn't work hard? That I wasn't driven? That I didn't attain all that I've accomplished? Oh, no. I know you work your butt off. I know that you've taken every opportunity that you could. have. I'm not saying that at all. And I walked away from that meeting kind of going, I don't know what I could have said there differently, I just feel so misunderstood. But here's what it is. If I had had someone when I was in athletics who was a really good athlete, tell me, Dan, I'm just like you. I've just worked really hard, and that's why I'm faster and more (laughs) agile and can and I'm getting college scholarships, I would know, like, that's just not true. I'm not like, you've worked really hard. You've earned that scholarship. I agree. But there's a difference between you and me. And that's just the way it is. And so when I think about being poor in spirit, it's coming to that acknowledgement of like, yeah, God has, God has blessed me, he's blessed all of us with different things. And we've created this world system that you know, values some of them higher than others. That's not the way that it is in the kingdom of heaven. And it's not just about trying more hard than everybody else. It's about acknowledging our dependence, like we're poor in spirit, we're broken. We need God's help. We're actually interconnected and dependent on each other more than I'm comfortable. That's just how God has made us. That's who we are as people. And when we start to acknowledge that and are filled with thankfulness, it it doesn't make us go, oh, all this stuff is mine or all this is mine or whatever. No, the response is God's response in us. Like we wanna share, we wanna help, we wanna, be there and support, we want to cheer, we want to love other people, even if they're really different than we are. They're people made in God's image. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he means just this, blessed are the poor in spirit. And um, recognizing that this blessedness is of infinite value, more than a fleeting feeling of happiness, is our task. Maybe I shouldn't say task after I've been hammering on performance all day. It's our invitation. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are mourn, for you'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for there'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you and we just acknowledge our own um, own shortcomings. But more than that, I guess it's our own humanness. And we acknowledge this knowing that at uh, whatever point we are in in our journey with you, you're going to meet us there. We don't have to have this all figured out. We don't have to have this all buttoned up or nailed down. God, all we have to do is to have a willing and receptive heart. So won't you plant through your Holy Spirit's power the seed of your kingdom inside of us, like a mustard seed Lord that's what you say and even though it may start small it can grow large it can grow to be we can grow into the kind of people that you always intended us to be help us to do that Lord and this we pray amen well um, next week I was hoping to go through the first three there. You know, poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and the meek. I thought we'd just get the really ugly stuff out of the way. But I only made it through one. So next week, we're going to talk about mourning. Doesn't that sound exciting, church? (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. I can't wait. Uh, Mourning and meekness. Uh, But, you know, all throughout history, people have read these and are like, that's just unattainable. I can't do that. Maybe that was Jesus' point. I'm not sure. But there's also an invitation in that. Like, man, if you find yourself there, and I think at some point, all of us do. Jesus is saying there, you're blessed. You're not a screw-up. You're human. I'm with you. God's kingdom is for someone just like you. And so rather than being discouraged or put off or like, man, I'll just forget that, it draws us closer to him. It draws us closer to the kingdom because we realize that's the grace, that's the mercy, that's the freedom, that's the new life right there, I want it. And so those are the people that we want to be. So go. This week, may you be poor in spirit. I mean that in the best possible way. May you feel blessed. Know that you are blessed, that the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. Amen? Amen. See you next week. Go say hi to Luke, wherever Luke is.